City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. OK, and City Limits on the air yet again for the last time for the year. Wee! And, <laughs> that was Meg Kimber going, woo, I went wee. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got uh, Karina pressing the buttons wonderfully for us so far. Doing a great job, Karina. Thanks, Karina. Yeah, yep. absolutely superb. Um, and um, and it's it's the third Wednesday of the month. It's our housing day uh, normally, and normally, as normal, it's going to be a housing day. Whoa. Um, we're going to have um, a little, shortly, fairly shortly, we're going to have um, Howard Morosi with his monthly catch-up from Friends of Public Housing, and we're going to have Shane McGrath coming in from Housing with the Aged Action Group to the studio. It's going to um, be good. So, we'll, yeah, we'll discuss. I think what we can discuss, of course, is the enormous uh, advances in public housing for the past 12 months. Uh. Then in the next 30 seconds, we could um, <laughs> do something else. Uh. Um, but anyway, that's that. I'm going to pour some tea. Karina, do you want tea this week? Or, okay, yeah, this. It's. Oh, there we are. Uno, due, tre. I'm just proving my Italian, you see. Um, there we are. Oh, yeah, didn't want any more. It's, I, was mm. gonna, I was going to put more in. No. Oh, okay. Thanks. Okay. Been eschewed again almost. Mm. There you are, Karina. You've, it's, it's, it's straight green tea today, nothing fancy, just straight uh -uh. green tea. There we are. Okay, but a couple of things I wanted to hang on before I talk about them. Oh, I've got, I've got to get my reading glasses. I've got to also talk into the microphone to be smart, but um, get my reading glasses out so I can mm. read these things. And can I just say at the start, thanks to, uh, he didn't, he said no acknowledgement, but I'm going to acknowledge. Um, um, Terry Bosley, who sent us a lovely card last week, and oh, said nice thanks, things, Terry. And some cuttings and things. So um, thanks, mm. Terry. And said I've actually bought the card to show you because he says all the teams. So oh, we're all included in this. Oh, that's lovely. Yes, there you are. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yes. Um, now, just um, just an interesting couple of interesting items from the from the week. Um, the, the, you'll be pleased to know that Linda Reynolds, the Defence Minister, says she won't uh, criticise the inquiry into uh, whether Australians committed war crimes in Afghanistan and uh, is a fairly well-known QBC um, recipient who's uh, in the who's yeah. been looked at. Yeah. Um, because she says that they have to do it properly and thoroughly, etc., etc. So she's not going to do anything to speed it up and all that sort of stuff. I suppose they don't want it to finish because they don't want to be shown. They don't want the results, <laughs> the results, the uh, well, no, outcomes no. to be known. No, that's, uh, yeah, I think that's fair enough. Yeah. Let's have a sip of tea there. Um, now we know that Andrew Forrest uh, from Fortescue Metals, one of our very favourite Australian rich people. Um, <laughs> Andrew loves the indigenous people of this country. He regularly, you know, says we have to do things to help the indigenous uh -huh. people, etc. It's a classic move. Yes, that's right. But white he, and Australia. He, and given that he comes from a family, of course, that uh, <laughs> lived off the the uh, labour of, uh, of black slaves, effectively on, right. his, on his on his company on his. Uh, Family the family's farm. pastoral land, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, Andrew, despite the fact that he's so devoted to the Indigenous people, he's had this fight going on in the federal court for some time, and he's thinking of going to the high court now. 
um, a 12-year legal battle with traditional owners because they say that he went onto their land without consulting them to set up this mine and... Um, and that, uh, and he's defending that. Um, but the, the WA state solicitor is attempting to thwart Port Issues' attempt to continue its legal fight with native title holders, and has asked the High Court to dismiss the company's application for special leave to appeal. And Fortescue's got Brett Walker appearing for them as one of the leading QCs in this country. Um, and the the, the 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 government has lined up alongside traditional owners representing the Yinja Barandi uh, Aboriginal Corporation. And the uh, Fortescue is fighting federal court rulings, which effectively mean the company built its Solomon Iron Ore Mining Hub in WA's Pilbara region without agreement with the native title holders. In October, five federal court judges unanimously threw out a Fortescue appeal against the 2017 ruling, which paved the way for the Yinjabandi to launch a separate compensation claim that could run into hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, Great. Poor, poor Andrew, isn't this terrible? Oh, um... Yes, but anyway, Fortescue said, um, we think there are important points of law that need to be addressed, like our right to go where we want to go, I suppose. That's right, that's an important <laughs> that's, point that of law. That seems to be the most critical one. Mm. Um, it's really just a service to the whole legal yes, system yes, the, that they're doing. It's not about them. It's just oh, no, that they, just it's the, a point of law. Point of law, yeah. that's right. The, when, they, when the environments win on a point of law, they say well, they're abusing the law mm -hmm. by using it. So mm -hmm. it's interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Anyway, the Yinjabandi um, were granted um, native title over the land, 2,700 square acres, effectively recognising them as private owners with a spiritual connection that allowed them to decide who came onto the land. Fortescue has said the federal court ruling lowered the bar for what is required to establish exclusive possession, you see, under native title. So hmm, it's made it first. too easy for these bloody blacks to get their land back. Oh. That's what it seems to me to be. That's, yeah. Anyway, that's just a reflection on Andrew's great dedication to the Indigenous people of this country. Indeed. Yeah. And to the legal systems that uphold all of the many injustices of this country. That's right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But another one that's uh, that is a worry. Um, we had the um, the member the member who fights coal, the Brown Newcastle, the federal Labor member. I can't think of his name, but he, Joel Fitzgibbon. That's his name. Uh, Joel yes. Who comes out supporting coal madly? He also came out <laughs> last week and and opposed the Victorian state government's um, end to plantation timber, which of course won't won't end till twenty thirty anyway. I mean, yeah. eleven more years. Yeah. But um, he came out and said that, um, in fact, um, harvesting native forests uh, is good for the forest, apparently. He worked that one They out. love that line. Yeah, good That's a that. classic. Good at that. I'll that come is back a classic to that line. shortly with you, too, because yep. there's developments in Tasmania you're probably oh. aware of. Um, but anyway, um, now the CFMEU has come out also um, and uh, attacked the government and said that it's, you know, people are going to, workers are going to have a terrible Christmas. Well, they're going to have 11 terrible Christmases, if that's the problem of... The worrying about workers. their future jobs, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but, um, you know, they've come out with the usual lines about how they, what they devote, etc., etc. But the best line came from the timber mills themselves. Um, timber mills said the policy would be a job killer and sustainable harvesting should have a future, pointing to the work contractors do fighting bushfires as another industry asset. Well, isn't um, it wonderful to go out and fight the bushfires so they deserve to tear down the forests that are burning? Mm. Indeed, I don't they, quite get it. No, they Just virtually said that a couple of weeks ago that um, that 
that um, felling does, not mm. at least not allowing them to get into the forest will increase bushfires because yeah. presumably the trees will be there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's um, right. Yeah, Forests won't burn if there's no trees. Trees, that's true. That's uh, yeah. Right. Another but, thing, they should just take them all down, cover it all in concrete. Nothing would burn then, would it? And you'd have lots of freeways. Exactly. Which you can give to transurban and yeah. good, good, good for the economy. Oh, exactly. That's terrific, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a bloody good thought. <laughs> We've um, solved a, a whole bunch of problems that, in one at, go. At that, uh, <laughs> at that um, fight for nature thing a couple of Thursdays ago, which was quite a good crowd, I went along to that. The speakers spoke, the speakers were very good. But um, Amelia Young from the, um, the Wilderness Society, Society yeah. yeah. She, she made the point why they've chosen 2030, why they can't say stop now. Yeah. Uh, and there has to be a transition, I agree. But yeah. nonetheless, um, that should be the, you know, and why the government's paying for that, I've got no idea. That should be the bosses. I mean, they've made yeah. all the money out of it. Yeah. But that is, and why they can't grow plantation timber by 2030, which they're complaining about, I've got no bloody idea. But, <laughs> but that aside, she said the reason they've chosen 2030 is, is quite specific because the um, Australian paper mills, um, which are run by a um, which are run by a Japanese company, but that's that's irrelevant. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. who owns them. Um, the Australian paper mills have a contract with the government to use um, native forest timber um, until twenty thirty. Yeah. So the they allowed, can't they the, can't stop native no. forest logging until that contract ends. So the extension has been granted in terms of the contract to a, to a timber mill, which then, of course, mm. um, mostly turns it into paper. And you know, mm-hmm. so you're turning our native forests into, into paper. Mm-hmm. It's quite extraordinary, isn't mm-hmm. it? But I, I did raise it. You know, yesterday, uh, I think yesterday was, I think, um, mentioned that Tasmania. Did you see that? Here I that didn't item? see it. What did, it was what on, did you I think see? it was on Radio National yesterday oh. morning. In fact, they did an interview. Um, Who with, with, do you remember? Well, with someone from Bob Brown Foundation, Foundation yep. and also with the timber industry itself. Oh, gosh. But the Tasmanian government's looking at, um, and the timber industry's put to the government, they should investigate whether much of the locked-up area, uh-huh. uh, how much of it should, in fact, be locked up and how much of it should be allowed without, you know, sustainably to t- to, yeah. to, to cut, etc. So yeah. it's on again, the struggle in Tasmania. Classic move. It, yeah, it didn't really end, but the um, when guns... Um, Went into receivership and went bankrupt. Um, yeah, people obviously that is you know that was a great achievement for the Tasmanian forests and um, but uh, the the uh, government sort of the government department that used to be called Forestry Tasmania then just rebranded itself, <laughs> gave itself a new name. Um, post, and Post guns. Tasmania. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and then just sort of went on to try to find out who would buy, you know, who else would take these trees that they're constantly trying to uh, sell to people for the lowest price possible. Basically, usually at, running at a loss even for the, you know, for the government, for the Tasmanian mm. people, so and yeah. one of the one of the things in the proposal was that some area will be saved if we can if we can log this area. And I thought well, that's, I a, that's a great trade off. Is that well, so you, all yeah. this area suffers? Yeah, um, why not save them both? Exactly, um, radical idea. Oh, Especially if it's already me. stuff that has been 
put into reserves and, and protected, basically. Well, that, that's what they're asking for. Stuff that's yeah. currently protected, yeah. they want to have. They want to review to see how much of that really needs to be protected and how much can be opened up to they, them. They love logging right up to the line of the World Heritage Wilderness mm. Area as if you, mm. there's just like, you know, you move three metres and it's World Heritage Value Forest and then you mm. move three metres the and other way and it's, and it's just rubbish. log it. Yeah, just it's rubbish. just rubbish. Yeah. It's yeah. a mess. <laughs> a bit of paper. It's a fire hazard. Yeah. yeah. Another one that's um, been building up this week or the last couple of weeks, yeah, the, the company itself, um, which has been doing the Metro Tunnel, the that's the underground rail thing here, um, stopped work for a few days claiming the costs had blown out, etc. And so we're negotiating with the government to sort the problem out in terms of cost overruns. But it, mm. it strikes me, and this is a consortium of some of the biggest, um, the biggest construction companies and developers in this country, uh, building the thing, mm-hmm. they won the contract, and they won the contract because they put in a price, and they was accepted at the price, and that was what mm-hmm. was going to happen, and it mm-hmm. was going to happen over a certain period. Now, there's a contract. I, I can't see. I'm they, what they what they want is the government to start putting in millions to get them out of a hole they've dug, which is more than a pun. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And they. And clearly, um, I cannot see why the government should put one cent to it. If they made a contract and said we can do it yeah. for this and then the cost overruns happen, well, yeah. bad luck. It's a classic move, uh, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, bad luck. And uh, yeah. you know, in reverse, they never give government, like a couple of times early in the contract under Transurban when they got an incredible deal originally on City yeah. Link, yeah. Um, a couple of things happened and the government tried to you know, change it a bit, but they, they would only change it if it benefited them. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, yeah. And, and what a surprise. Yeah. It's like so, the banks it's, and stuff like that. Things go wrong in capitalism and then governments go, oh, well, we can't let it all just go wrong because no, no, everything would right. be bad and, and no one could get anywhere. They're too yeah. big to fail. So we'll have to just hop yeah. in. But generally we just leave them alone apart from all of the things that we do yeah. that interfere and change things and give subsidies yeah, we're to. Pouring more tea people can hear save. you, I'm sure. I know. Yeah, there we are. There it's good are. that someone yeah. loves the tea that so Yeah, much. it's great. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like I've never seen Kevin so happy. <laughs> yeah, well, there you are. Uh, but that's really, yeah, so yeah. Um, that's that's the case. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, you, what you just raised, I've mentioned a few times on the program over the years, but... During the financial crisis, the great, you know, whatever it was called, the financial thing, GFC in 07, 08, um, there was a wonderful cartoon in the Financial Review, little girl having breakfast at the table with her parents, and they said, what would you like to be like, what would you like to be when you grow up to you? And she said, I'd like to be too big to fail. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good ambition. (laughs) That's right. Anyway, that's uh, that's what they are. And in fact, since the Royal Commission, every every recommendation has been watered down on the basis that it's affecting investment and affecting you know people receiving loans, etc. So it's just all going back uh, to where it started. Yeah, it's like it never um, happened, except yeah. uh, just it, you know, I don't know, diverted people's attention for a second, and that's right. Yep, back but to Ken, business as usual. But Ken Haynes upset them with his latest comments about climate change Indeed. he mentioned last week. Yeah. Although it still hasn't made the Herald Sun yet, but it's it has still hasn't. Building up might to be us time, now. might be time later. Now, the um, the uh, what's it called? The J.P. Morgan Chase, one of the biggest banks in the world and investment mobs in the world. Yeah. Um, the the there was a pub, There was a report in the New York Times detailing allegations of racism at Phoenix area branches of J.P. Morgan. Okay. In one instance, one of at least two black men who recorded their interactions with bank staff after they were discriminated against was told he was essentially too black to obtain, quote, private client status. 
Black workers also said the bank was prejudiced against them. Huh. Last year, JP Morgan agreed to pay 24 US million 35 Australian to end a class action discrimination lawsuit brought by other black employees. Huh. Now, just I raise that because you get the usual comments, like our banks say, you know, they've put ads now saying we've learnt and we're doing our best and we want to recover and it's not really our values, yeah. etc. And uh, Jamie Dimon, who's one of the richest blokes in the world, he's chairman of uh, JP Morgan, tackled allegations of racism at the banking giant, telling employees that such behaviour, quote, does not reflect who we are as a company and how we serve our clients and communities every day. Doesn't okay. that fill you with confidence? Yeah. Um, yes. It sounds like it's really tackling the oh, issue and sincerity where it's itself, important. Sincerity itself from Jamie. Yeah. Um, well, I think we know what their values are anyway. Um, mm. and we Profit. We know how they serve their clients and communities too. Yeah. <laughs> so probably a falls into place pretty well, I would have thought. Probably. Um, but no, he, no sorry, I'm, that's being cynical. He was disgusted by racism and hate in any form. company had done some great work on diversity and inclusion, but it's not enough. Yeah. yeah oh, isn't it? They're wonderful. Just, you know, get the numbers in <sighs> and don't worry about the culture. Yeah, yeah, you've got to, you've got to raise your hat to them. I mean, oh, whatever, they're doing whatever so you're well. Doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, it was an encouraging sign I saw on telly the other night um, a large rally in Rome uh, against the far right, which yeah. was good. Did you see that on telly? It was a, anyway, telly, it, was on, it was on there. Yeah, but anyway, cool. yeah. Um, and um, they're, they're calling them the sardines for whatever reason. Anyway, these are the sardines of the people fighting them, okay. tens of thousands, etc. They began mm. in the city of Bologna in November where Mattia Santori, 32, and three friends invited people to protest against um, Salvini's league. Salvini's the head of this far-right mob uh -huh. whose popularity is high ahead of an election in the northern Emilia-Romagna region, um, and etc. But it, you know, there's lots of people now coming out. Um, um, if the left loses power there, that's in that area, it should also quit. That's what Caldini says. But students, pensioners and families with children filled Rome's Piazza San Giovanni to denounce Salvini, whose anti-immigrant rhetoric has resonated with many voters. So... Encouraging signs of people coming. Do you out think the this way. this sort of um, global unrest is a little bit unusual in, in the sense that it hasn't really been that visible for the last like thirty years or so? But considering that you were around, uh, not trying to age you here, no, Kevin, you but um, in the <laughs> Vietnam War that kind mm, of era, mm. do you see this level of global just frustration and and unrest and dissatisfaction similar to that time or or is this just like a normal part of this living in capitalism or is something changing no it's building up to it i think i can yeah. see it this year in climate change and mostly coming from young people and the anti-war movement often uh -huh. came from young people at the time of which i was one yes oh, i'm gonna have to cop unfortunately hang on yep. <coughs> there we are just coughed um that made great listening. <laughs> um, the, no, I, look, I, I can see it building up because the Vietnam at the start of the Vietnam War, um, the the media, anyone who opposed it was called a traitor. Jim Cairns was literally called a traitor by the Herald editorial. At yeah, the time. yeah, um, yeah. And it built up, and you know, as I said, I think a couple of weeks ago about we had. The moratorium movement kicked off with local groups, and they all built up and came to a you know, uh -huh. and a, but of course the 
it, the the war was also being televised and people could see that you know what was it happening. wasn't yeah that what we were saying was was true yeah but it built up over three or four like in 66 labor fought the election Corwell fought on the dirty unwinnable war oh. which Whitlam sabotaged in fact but oh. ironically you know, Whitlam won in 72 mainly because of the anti-war movement I would have thought so it was between a, it was a 66 player. and 72 that built up a enormously. lot shifted and by 70 yeah. you had the moratorium which has its anniversary coming up more next year so next yeah. year um, there's the 50th anniversary going to be held um, so yeah, it built up, and I can see that happening now with climate change stuff and young people. That you know, you can see toward the end of the year, the government's being forced more and more into a smaller corner mm-hmm. because um, because you know there's the tide of public the opinion, of public opinion really all over the place around yeah. the world, and even yeah. even in business circles is, is happening. I'm going to have to cough again. We turn the mics off. It's going to play something. <laughs> Three C
Um, that was Sunrise in Richmond by the Off Off Topics. And you're listening to 3CR and this is City Limits and Meg and Kevin are joined in the studio by Shane McGrath from Housing for the Age Action Group and we're joined on the phone by Howard Morosi. Yes, and um, well, we almost lost Shane. He was dancing around the studio oh. for that. But he's, <laughs> such a, <laughs> such a jam. <laughs> he's back again. Uh, and uh, it's worth saying we don't have any off topics on 3CR. We just have good topics. That's, that's right. That. We're always and, on topic. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, Howard's on the line as well. And um, I thought, well, Howard, you did say yesterday to me you want, there's something you did want to have a yarn about today. I suggested we could round up the, or do a round up of what's happened to public housing this year, but that wouldn't get us past half past. Nine, so. um. uh, well, actually, you had to think about that. No, there's a fair bit to talk about, actually, even on that topic. So uh, I'll fire away. Mm. Um, well, just in case, Howard Morosi's from Friends of Public Housing and Shane McGrath's from um, Housing with the Age Action Group. That's right. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so we've been having rallies nearly every week outside Parliament. Um, <clears throat> so thanks to Joe Toscano for organising those. That's been great. We also had a at least one 24-hour vigil outside Parliament, <laughs> which was very, very well attended. Can't say it had any impact on the, um, the state government or the opposition. Um, we've got another rally today, if anyone's interested. Last rally for the year until February. So 5.30 till 6.30 today at State Parliament. Defend and extend Public Housing Australia. Now, Joe um, Toscano also made a prediction... Uh, around the time of the 2018 election that uh, that would determine the fate of public housing in Victoria. Um, that is, the performance of the Australian Greens was going to determine that. Um, so, unfortunately, uh, the Greens weren't rewarded by the electorate. The Greens had a very good public housing policy. Um, and uh, we, we had the landslide of the Andrews government, which means that we've now seen that they're going ahead with a full-scale, complete privatisation of public housing, the first stage being the public housing renewal program. Uh, so that the uh, public housing renewal program is going ahead um, at uh, West Heidelberg. Um, and just at, for those uh, who haven't been around you know, Mars for a couple of years, that is really about privatising it and handing it over to the private sector. Yeah, so we've, we've now, what we suspected has actually come to be. So the government has uh, vacated the, um, the tenants from the, the properties and they've started to demolish um, some of them. And they've announced that uh, for some of them there's going to be no public housing. So it's going to be housing which may be owned by the government, but it's going to be managed by... Um, the community housing, the housing associations, which means it's not public housing. Not public housing. Thank you very much, ALP. Um, so, as well as that, uh, we had um, the uh, Social Housing Fund announced by the Andrews government, I think it was late last year, which is effectively money for the community housing uh, organisations. <coughs> uh, <coughs> sorry. That <coughs> They call it social housing so that people are going to be confused and not realise that it's money that should be going to um, public housing but is actually going to the housing associations. Yeah. So just for example, this point, go on, sorry, finish your point, yeah. Yeah, so for example, we've just had an announcement of 100 new homes 
through new rentals development program by the state government. <coughs> 100 new and affordable homes in Mooney Ponds. The uh, vast majority of tenants are women aged over 55. Many have fled family violence. So in other words, they keep trying to soften everyone up by saying how, you know, how they're looking after the vulnerable people. Um, it's the new rentals development program. Eventually, it's going to be 540 rental properties leased from the private sector by housing agencies. So again, a uh, billion dollars, the Social Housing Growth Fund, a billion dollars, which could be going <clears throat> into public housing, is going to be used to create uh, roughly 2,000 new social housing properties. Which is going I was to going to raise a bit later, but this morning on the Brecky Show, they had a they played a, a speech that. Um, <clears throat> That um, what's his name made the the QC the the in the refugee QC I can't think of his name now Burnside Burnside Julian Burnside yeah thanks yeah um, um, and he said that since the, in the last three or four years um, we have spent nine billion dollars to keep a few hundred people on Nauru etc and keep them mm-hmm. out of the country and I thought at the time well. That nine billion could have housed those people, and it could have housed a lot more people. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible wastes of public money all over the place uh, when we're crying out for what we're talking about here now. Yeah, nine billion dollars would probably clear the waiting list in Victoria completely. We've got a waiting list of forty thousand uh, applications, uh, which is eighty thousand people just for public housing. Um, I think that would probably clear it mm. just here in Victoria. Um, so again, it's not a question of not having the money. It's a question of uh, being committed. The government's the will, labour, the will, yeah, labour and liberal being committed to privatisation. We'll bring Shane in here. Shane, you got any thoughts on all this and where the year's gone? Oh, on the, I mean, I just want to echo what Howard just said. Like the the question's not about whether the money's there. The the, the problem is that labour and liberal are exactly as you said, absolutely committed to privatising public housing, to getting it out of public hands, to to start, yeah, to selling it off as much as they possibly can. Um, I mean, in terms of the year, uh, it's been a pretty big year for uh, reform in, in rental laws, which is you know kind of my area. So mm-hmm. uh, we've seen the rollout of some of the residential tenancies reforms that the government passed last year. Um, a lot of those very good for tenants. Um, the regulations that go with those laws are up for public consultation at the moment. Close, uh, to, close today, don't they? They do close today. Oh, you've been doing your research. <laughs> the, um, the Victorian Public Tenants Association is, has got a petition up on their website in, in connection with that. Um, the reason for that is that the, some of the rental reforms have a transitional rule where they'll only apply to new tenancy agreements that start after July next year. Um, now, most people have 12-month rental agreements, so that's not really a problem. Who it's a problem for is public tenants because their rental agreements are effectively indefinite. They go on you know, until you leave. Um, so for a lot of people in public housing, people who are already in public housing, that will mean they never have the full benefit of the, the rental reforms that the government mm. has, has passed. So the mm. Public Tenants Association are, are calling on people to sign a petition um, asking the government to make sure that the, the rental reforms apply equally to everyone. Um, government presumably doesn't want to do that because the department would have to bring its, uh, its own properties up to the minimum standards they've passed for everyone else. Mm. I'll come back to that a bit later because there's been some moves about trying to extend that even further, the, the, those, um, those rental mm-hmm. controls, and the landlords aren't too happy about it because they say it could force people out of 
rental housing, unfortunately. Every yeah. every single rental reform that anyone's ever considered, <laughs> the Real Estate Institute has announced that it will destroy the private rental industry. Right. Uh, yeah. Weirdly, people keep like on needing to live somewhere. And yeah. keep on buying investment <laughs> properties. It's crazy. No, when I saw what they said, I was quite worried. The thing I felt, but I got quite worried when I read that. I thought, mm. oh, yeah, this is terrible. You're going to have to more restrictions on landlords, yeah. Uh, Howard, any more to say about all this? Uh, that's probably it for public housing. It's good to hear the VPTA has actually done something good for once. Uh, we'll have to get on to that. It's obviously a bit late for now, but we can still lobby about the yeah, yeah. Um, issue with the standards. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually wanted to ask, Shane, <clears throat> uh, with those rental laws, I noticed that, uh, that the really big uh, thing is the rental uh, rises. So they've now um, said they can landlords can only raise the rent once a year instead of twice a year. Yeah. Um, but you know the question is how much. So they've said it, it has to be a reasonable rise in rent. Is there so any? So there's there's no change in terms of how much they can put it up. The government, like yeah. every in the rental reform process, every other area, they are willing to at least talk about fairly radical or at least you know pretty pretty strong social democratic ideas about how rental laws should be changed but when it came to any suggestion that there should be limitations on rent rent rises anything like that they just threw up their hands and would not entertain discussion um so there's nothing there's no improvement in terms of affordability in those reforms uh in, in yeah which view. is the most important thing absolutely the other thing is security of tenure as security of tenure uh improved under the so, so most of the changes to security tenure won't come in until July next year, but there are some pretty important ones. Um, obviously, it's not going to reach the level of public housing, but we're going to see things like getting rid of no reason notices to vacate, which has been one of the, the big uh, ticket items for HAG and a lot of other tenant organisations for a long time. Um, there's going to be more onus on the landlord to provide evidence for the reasons that they want to evict someone. And the tribunal is going to have an extra power that it hasn't had before when it considers an eviction uh, to decide whether the eviction is uh, reasonable and proportionate in all the circumstances. Um, so that's a, a pretty big change. It's hard to know at this point how the tribunal will actually work that. But, but to date, you know, effectively, if you get a notice to vacate and it goes to the tribunal and the landlord proves they're entitled to give the notice, uh, in most circumstances, the tribunal has no choice but to evict you. Now they're going to have to actually consider... You know, not, not just have they ticked all their boxes right, but is it appropriate to evict you in the circumstances? So hopefully some of those things will mean better better security of tenure for people. Do we know what sort of considerations there's going to be? Like, I mean, if a landlord wants to um, put up rent, say, for example, beyond the capacity of the tenant, that's one way of getting them out. Mm -hmm. Is there anything to stop them from doing that? So there, what, what are the grounds, you know, for eviction? Yeah, so, sorry... I'll do your rent question first and then remind me to come back to the thing about grounds for eviction. The, yep. So the, the, the system for rent increases is going to stay much the same. Um, sorry, I don't have the act in front of me, but from memory, I'm pretty sure this is right. Um, at the moment, if you get a rent increase that you think is too much, Consumer Affairs come and do an assessment of what's a fair amount of rent for the, the property. It's a pretty weak system because the way that they check what's a fair rent for your property is that they call local real estate agents and say, what would you charge for this house? Mm. And of course, real estate agents have an interest in that being as high as possible. <laughs> Uh, but that's that's the system that we've got. So it does kind of rule out the most egregious, but only the most egregious rent increases. Uh, and they say that's you know about letting the market set the the, the level or, or what have you. So there's still that limitation on, on really extraordinary rent increases, but it's not a, a functional protection. You know, tenants obviously still pay absolutely extraordinary amounts of rent. 
Mm. Um, there's there's no housing in Victoria. No, sorry, no private rental housing in Victoria that's affordable for people on Newstart, for mm. example, mm. or even on minimum wage. Well, mm. who we did a put a study out about a week or two ago, mm-hmm. um, Australian Housing and Urban Research, it's a bit to see how they are, um, and it uh, it backed up the previous one by the rental, whatever they called themselves, that it, you know, it's a totally, uh, there's, for lower income people, private rental is totally unaffordable. That's yeah, essentially no what they were saying. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, in terms of reasons for for eviction, like there's not a big change. The, it's mostly going to be the same sorts of things. So there are certain kinds of faults that tenants, you know, certain things that tenants can do that will get them evicted. You know, being a danger to your neighbours, um, deliberately causing damage to the property um, if you're too far behind in your rent, things like that. Um, the landlord has a range of no-fault eviction notices they can use, things like an intention to sell the property, for them to move into it, um, reno- substantial renovations that require the tenant to move out. Um, so there's not a huge change, except that they've gotten rid of the no reason notice. Mm. The five, sorry, go on. Oh, well, just in the instance where the owner wants to, say, move in, mm-hmm. does anyone ever check whether they actually move in? I mean, not really. It's uh. kind of, I mean, that, that's kind well, of ridiculous. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's clear, the, you know, sometimes Blind Freddy can see the landlord's not moving in. You know, the landlord's incredibly wealthy and we're talking about, you know, basically mm. a rundown slum. <laughs> and the, the, tri- the, the landlord just fronts the tribunal and says, yes, I'm moving in. The, the tribunal says, well, he said he's moving in. What, what more could yeah. you want from me? <laughs> um, Make there, him move in. Yeah, that would be the... <laughs> there, there is a kind of small protection. There's a, there's a limit on how quickly they're allowed to relet the property if they've given that sort of notice to oh, vacate. Okay. Um, I think it's six months from the date they gave you the notice to vacate. Oh. So in some circumstances, tenants might be able to get some amount of compensation if they were evicted unlawfully in those circumstances, but it'd be pretty pretty tricky. Mm. One of the one of the new things that's come in is there's now five-year leases they can give. Does that, does that give any more protection to people? I don't really think that it will. So, I mean, we haven't really seen whether people are actually going to take up this option, but um, I don't think that landlords are, intent- are interested in offering longer leases. We haven't seen any demand from that. And, uh, you know, it's it's a lease. It's an agreement between both sides. You can't, you know, if the tenant wants a five-year lease and the landlord doesn't, that's not mm. going to give them any more protection. Mm. And do they still have the ability to put the rent up during that five-year period? Oh, you're really oh, testing the de- <laughs> detailed knowledge. Uh, look, I'm pretty sure they do. The five-year lease will include a, a, a part that's about the way they can increase the rent, so uh-huh. how much it will increase and on what schedule. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, the, the, the Tenants Union and um, Howard mentioned them. Uh, they've come out with a list of demands to extend what's already been passed. Um, yeah. Let's have a look at them. Um, coverings on bathroom and toilet windows for privacy. That's not there at the moment. So the, <laughs> well, so the rental reforms that passed last year included minimum standards for rental properties, but it didn't say what, the, what specifically the minimum standards would be. So previously there's been no minimum standards for rental properties in Victoria. Um, if you didn't have a kitchen, if you didn't have a, a back door or whatever, um, that was your bad luck. Huh. Um, the... I did once see a property without a back door, so that's why, that's why I give that example. Um, the, so the, the regulations that they're consulting on now, as you say, the consultation ending today, includes what those minimum standards will be. Um, so it includes things like blinds on main living areas and bedrooms, I think. Um, so they're mm-hmm. calling for that additionally in, in yep. bathrooms and toilets. Yep. It includes a standard that there has to be a heater in the main living area, yep. but to quite a low <clears throat> energy efficiency standard. Yep. Um, HAG thinks that it's very important that the minimum standards not only include heating, but also cooling. Mm. Um, heat waves in particular are extremely 
dangerous for yeah. older older people. Well, older d- one of the one of the demands is in fact fans or air conditioning to keep homes cool. So that's absolutely, what, yeah. mm. the government says that the way that they've the way they've drafted the regulation for heating, most landlords will probably just put in reverse cycle air conditioning anyway. Mm. Um, if they think that most of them are going to do it anyway, then we'd like to see them just make that mm. the standard. Mm. Um, and insulation as well. We think that's a, a really key part of yes. both heating and cooling, whether that's for uh, what they call thermal comfort uh, or for energy efficiency, energy costs, all those things. Mm. If my land, you know, At the moment, I don't have a, a heater in my main living area. The last thing I want is for the landlord to come into my drafty old house, mm. put in a heater, jack the rent up because of it, and I can't save any money because the heater cost just, you know, costs, mm-hmm. costs more because there's no insulation yeah. to keep the heat in. Mm. Um, yeah. The, sorry, you were you were going through the list there. No, well, that's, you've got you've covered a fair few of them. Ventilation requirements, including extraction fans to help prevent yeah. mould. Mm. A twenty-four to seventy-two hour timeline for landlords to respond to requests. Now that's fairly important because they can often just drag it out forever, can't they? I thought there was already like a, a timeline for responding to requests. For urgent repairs, they have to do it as soon as, I think it's as soon as practical or something okay. like that. So it's it's kind of a loose standard. And Victoria mm. obviously has like different, um, the state has different kind of regulations around this than other states in mm-hmm. Australia, right? Because mm-hmm. that's, I'm kind of, I didn't realise that before this there weren't any minimum requirements. So. Uh, yeah, there were for, for rooming houses, it's probably worth mentioning. Those came in a few years back, but not yeah. for regular tenancies. Um, I think Tasmania was the first state to introduce minimum standards for rental properties, and yeah. Victoria will be the second. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's, there's, they, can, they have to act much more quickly than they usually do on that, and there's a couple that link up together. Investigation into asbestos and full disclosure to tenants and history of mould, damp water and flooding issues provided. And then the final one is more power to refuse open for inspection dates if inconvenient. Yeah, so the, huh. the regulations cover a whole lot. I think that the, the things about uh, the application process are pretty interesting. So there's a list of things that the landlords or the agents not allowed to ask you when you apply for a rental property, uh, as well as the things they have to tell you. Oh. Um, the things they're not allowed to ask you, I, I think, are, are, are one of the better reforms that have come through in the draft regulations. Um, so they're not allowed to ask you, have you ever taken your landlord to VCAT before? Mm. <laughs> Which is an outrageous thing for them to be asking wow. because it doesn't tell you any, tell them anything about your qualities as a tenant yeah. except that you might be willing to assert your rights. <laughs> um, they're not allowed to ask for unredacted bank statements which I think, uh, like when I had to, last time I applied for a property, they wanted three months of bank statements. And I just think that what? is such an egregious wow. reach of my privacy to no benefit, right. to no benefit to Exposing your poverty to the masses. Well, no. I mean, they've already got my, my uh, pay slips. They've got my boss's phone number. Yeah. What, what the hell do they need three and months of bank statements for? And a credit record often, mm. they ask for a credit record. Yeah, I mean, and also, you know, homeless people in particular often feel concerned that that's going to lead to discrimination against them because you can identify a lot about a person's lifestyle, oh, you know, if you're homeless, you probably have very, you know, there's a lot of money spent on fast food and things like that because obviously mm. you're not shopping at the supermarket. Mm. Um, there's all kinds of discriminatory judgments that people can make based on three months of bank statements. Heaps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is where, of course, we got these, um, these quite unnerving, quite worrying statements from the Real Estate Institute. Uh, mm. This legislation takes control away from property owners with many landlords nervous about changes to the investment property they worked so hard to purchase. <laughs> if rental housing stocks are impacted, this legislation will make it harder for a tenant to get a rental home. Yeah, I mean, that that's their boilerplate press release they put out every every time a, right, a, a right. change happens. Howard, you, you uh, agree with that or not? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, by the way, one other thing to mention uh, for people to do is to Google the Victorian Parliamentary Inquiry into Homelessness, uh, which is receiving submissions till the end of January. Now, all you've got to do to put
put a little bit of pressure on the government is just to uh, send in a submission saying public housing is necessary to solve the, um, the crisis with homelessness and that it should be managed and owned by the government. Yeah, good. I mean, one thing that's kind of interesting about that is that actually the Real Estate Institute, who are the bad guys when it comes to rental laws, are actually on the same side when it comes to public housing. Um, they recognise that for people on very low incomes, homeless people, public housing is a better option than private rental. Mm. Um, they don't want their, their, the landlords they represent to be kind of dealing with a, a problem that the government should be solving. Mm. Now, a listener, Martina, has called in. She says that the changes don't apply to community housing tenants. Community housing providers are treated as a business with their own policies and may not abide by the standards. Community housing provide, um, providers prefer workers over people or on Centrelink, and we think this is a reason to kick people out. Um, comments on that from either of you? I mean, the, the rental laws will apply to, to all housing providers, whether they're community housing providers or not, with the exception that we talked about in terms of the the uh, transition for, for new agreements. Um, but it's absolutely true. There's a lot of problems with community housing providers, a lack of accountability, a lack of transparency, um, uh, you know, a preference that we see over and over again for people to, to refuse to, to house people on Newstart because the percentage of their income that they get is so low. Mm. Um, there's a lot of problems with community housing providers, but they, they will be covered by the new laws. Yeah. Howard, uh, isn't that a good thing, though, uh, Shane, in terms of security of tenure? I mean, I, they can still cherry-pick. There's nothing mm. to stop mm. them cherry-picking. But once someone's in there... Unless, I mean, the problem is a lot of people do have problems with meeting their rent on time, which would be a grounds for eviction still. Yeah. But if they were meeting their rent on time, they couldn't really be kicked out for no reason. Um, yeah. And obviously, they can't claim they're going to move in there themselves, obviously, as a business, mm. yeah. as a ground for eviction. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, some community housing operators, you know, when the government was considering this, they kind of said things like, oh, but sometimes we think the tenant's bad, but we can't prove it and we need a way to evict them. <laughs> as, as if that's an argument. <laughs> like that, they'll say that outright. The, the things they'll just come out with is, is incredible. Oh, and the other thing, Shane, I, I haven't actually seen any statement by the Real Estate Institute supporting public housing. Yeah. So uh, I don't know that that's a public position that they've taken, but they'll, they'll say that, uh, you know, maybe more privately. Hmm. Oh, okay, that's interesting. An interesting figure that came out of that Ahuri um, report I mentioned earlier, um, that between, it's looking at the situation between 2011 and 2016. During that time, the private rental sector was the fastest growing segment of the Australian housing system, jumping to 17%, more than twice the rate of household growth at 7%. Despite this, the shortage of affordable rental homes has widened by 12.54%, as landlords chase wealthier tenants, affordable housing is defined, etc. But uh, so you know, it's it's going in the other direction all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Okay. How? Any more you wanted to uh, enlighten us with today? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we've got labour for housing being set up, and um, it's becoming quite obvious they're just a front for the state labour party. Uh, you can. Get onto Labor for Housing on Facebook, and if you have a look at the resolution that they got through the state Labor conference this year, you'll see that it's carefully worded to make it look like they're supporting public housing. But when you look at the detail, they're they're not. They're actually leaving it open for spending on community housing rather than public housing, and they're also uh, refusing to um, to point out the the giveaway of public housing to uh, to the housing associations. 
Um, and, uh, and when, then we look at their posts, like what I was talking about before in terms of the, uh, the social housing fund, they've just effectively um, praised the, the Victorian government for that and not talked about the fact that it's not public housing. So Labor for Housing looks like it's a stooge, and if you know anyone in the Labor Party, just let them know that. We've also had a lot of... Uh, uh, we've had some movement on the, um, the private housing front, and we've also had the federal election this year, which was a, uh, a no contest between Labor Party wanting to revive the National Rental Affordability Scheme funding of the uh, affordable housing uh, against the Liberal National Party. So the Libs had a party, a policy of the first home buyer guarantee, um, which does have some impact, some positive impact for first home buyers. Um, we've now had some criticism of that on the basis of the limitation, the uh, threshold for, for the entitlement. So the threshold is um, quite low. So the Fairfax, <coughs> a guy called John Collett, who's very good, writes the, the Fairfax media, mm. uh, points out the deposit has been a significant obstacle for first-home buyers. Um, and uh, so, But the problem with the, uh, the Morrison scheme is that it's, the income's limited to $120,000 a year for singles, um, and the price of the property has to be less than $700,000 um, in Sydney, 600000 for Melbourne and regional centres, which has been described as a joke. So the properties which it can actually apply to is effectively a joke. Uh, the, the income is still quite... 120000 is, you know, it's fairly generous, but there'd be a lot of first-time buyers that wouldn't be entitled, but then you have to say, do they really need it? If they're mm. earning more than 120000 a year as a single person... Yeah, it's 200000 um, for a couple. Yeah. So, yeah sorry, that's, that's right. if they're earning... They, they're eligible for the support the if they're grant. if they're earning less than one hundred twenty thousand a yep. year. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And, no, and for couples, as I say, it's two hundred thousand for a couple. If they can, yep. they're still eligible if they get two hundred thousand between them. Um, which okay. is interesting, I think. Hmm. I, look, just in, just in the few minutes left, I, something I did want to raise today, just to show that while we're talking about people who, at one end of the scale, can get nothing out of society, how others can. Um, Others can get away with it, so to speak, at the other end in the development area. And we know that um, while union officials can get fined more than Grocon was fined for killing three people on a site in Melbourne a few years ago, um, again, um, and this is a fight between Grocon and a mob called Dexas, which is the country's largest landlord, of, particularly of commercial property. Mm. So, it, you know, who do you barrack for when they're fighting each other anyway? But nonetheless... Um, they've had a dispute about um, about what what Grocon apparently owes them, and it's been going on for ages in the courts. But then Grocon, and they're a couple of subsidiaries of Grocon, not Grocon's main company, and so they went. They just declared themselves bankrupt, went into receivership, and it was settled with um, unsecured creditors getting between seven point nine and ten point six cents for every dollar a dollar owed. Now, this is from Grocon. Ten, they got it down to 7.9 to 10.6. And a few that's for subsidiaries. But a couple of days later, a headline on the Financial Review property page, Grocon train arrives in North Melbourne. And, you know, they're spending millions and millions developing these places. So um, it'd be nice if we could get away with those sort of things, I would have thought. Be nice if people who got hit with robo debts could pay seven point nine cents on the. <laughs> on the <election. laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. 
Oh, yeah, you should test that one out. Yeah. <laughs> go, go and talk to Daniel Grollo and ask him how he does it. <laughs> yeah, okay, Howard, any more before we go? We're running out of time. Yeah, so Victorian government, uh, massive sell-off of public land, which could a lot of which could be used for public housing even in the future once, you know, once Andrews is kicked out. We'll, we won't have the opportunity to do that because the land will be sold off. Um, local councils are pushing for inclusionary zoning, which means um, when there's a new development that uh, some of the, maybe you know, like 5%, 20%, whatever, has to be set aside for what they're, they're pushing for, affordable housing. Uh, we've submitted that that should be set aside for public housing. Um, we've also had the... Uh, Private housing uh, rental um, interest rate changes, so interest rates uh, have been pushed down by the Reserve Bank to 1%. Mortgages are around 4% now, which is probably reasonable. That's probably what you'd want. That's roughly what the CPI, what the uh, real CPI is, 4%, somewhere between 4 and 7%. Um, uh, but uh, the Australian Prudential Regula- Regulation Authority last year started to control... Um, the uh, housing price market, uh, and we we saw a big fall, uh, and then there was pressure put on them. And uh, the reason for the fall was the fact that they were restricting lending to investors. So that restriction has now been removed, and we've seen the prices go through the roof again. Yeah. Um, well, we'll have to wind it up there, Howard. I'm afraid. Yeah, but no um, look, um, but thanks for thanks for all your contributions this year, and we'll catch up with you again next year. Yeah, and have a right. have a good break. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, thanks Howard. Right, sum up, Shane. Sum, sum up. up. Yeah. Well, it's been a great year. <laughs> Even better things to come in 2020. <laughs> really? Um, that's, that's the that's... most enthusiastic thing anyone's ever said on the housing <laughs> like episode. Like in the history of anything. God, we can't finish the year on that note. Um, <laughs> I have some information about what's yes. happening while we're on break. Yes. Um, so this is the last show for 2019. Um, next week is Tamil Christmas, mm-hmm. which is going to be awesome. It's like a special yeah, but holiday Yeah, don't thing. do it every year, yeah. And um, then from the 1st of the 1st, 2020, for five weeks, there's talks from the 2019 Australian Society for the Study of Labour History Conference. Right. That's a nice, concise name for something. And um, so Activism, Struggle and Labour History, presented by Ian McIntyre, looking at Australian and New Zealand scholars, talking about union, anti-fascist, anti-racist, housing, anti-globalisation, other campaigns and struggles. That right. sounds great. Yeah. That's yeah, much better than City Limits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, might, they might not want us to come back. They we might, might just be like, back. don't worry about it, guys. <laughs> we, will, we will be back if they let us on the first Wednesday in February, um, which will be transport, of course. With And yeah. thanks to all those people that contribute to us all year, John McPherson, Shane, who comes in regularly, and yep. the other people from his group, yep. and some of our re- irregulars like Helen Vandenberg, Vandenberg Paddy Moriarty, yep. uh, Dave Sweeney from Australian Conservation, a few yeah. other people. So... Um, that's that and um, Karina's come on board and um, great to have you and, here and she's there she must hate having a break she must you know, not coming in next week and the I week know after. it's going to be terrible awful, oh, awful. boring yeah. Shane look seeing you're a guest today thank Karina for doing a great job oh thanks Karina <laughs> kicking goals there <laughs> <laughs> alright that's it you've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne Australia For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.